0: Welcome to Stove Side Chat. The chef is ready for your kitchen tour. Please come this way. Hi, I'm Ellie Krieger. I am a culinary nutritionist, I'm a registered dietitian. Um, I have many cookbooks, seven actually, wow. and a uh, couple of TV shows. So I'm a dietitian who mainly works in the media, and my mission is to help people find joy and pleasure from eating well.
1: Very cool. I remember uh, first first time I saw your articles, probably for Fine Food, fine cooking. Sorry, but uh, I remember quite a lot of. Okay. Uh, we oh did. yeah. 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 That's where I first got the uh, experience with reading your, your stuff. It's really, really interesting. So, um, you know, let's start off uh, your background a little bit. So I learned that you were a fashion model during the teens and 20s. So it's a bit of a change, obviously, from, uh, you know, from that world. So uh, share with us, uh, how did you change your career to more of a dietitian, nutritionist, uh, someone that's involved in food? You know, that's a big divergence, I think. So tell us about that.
0: Yeah, it does seem quite right. But actually, for me, they were very much interwoven all throughout my life. Um, so first, I've loved food always from the minute I was born. My mother says that me becoming a nutritionist is like a pyromaniac becoming a firefighter. So um, <laughs> I was always interested in food and passionate about it and drawn to it. And flavor um, and so I decided I wanted to, and I was always interested in science actually as well, which nutrition is very much when people say, oh, I want to get into nutrition. My first question in a way is, do you love science? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, an amalgamation of different fields of science, which is what I love about it. But, um, so I went to college to study nutrition. Actually mm-hmm. I was pre-med, but I majored oh, wow. in nutrition because that fulfilled all of the, um, that fulfilled all of the pre-med requirements, but it was in a field of food, which I was really drawn to. But I was modeling literally as a summer job initially Mm -hmm. to pay for school. So my whole thing was, I didn't wanna be a model per se for my life. I just needed to make some money. (laughs) And I had some friends in the field. I grew up in New York City, fortunately. So it was easy for me to access kind of the, the heart of the fashion industry. And I just started looking for an agency and one thing led to another. And after my freshman year of college, I was asked to uh, by an agency in Tokyo to go to oh, wow. Japan to work. So I wound up taking a year off from school and working in Japan and then going to Europe and working in Italy. And it was an amazing thing. It was harder than it seems, but all along for me, it was partially an adventure on its own that blew up into something for me. Mm-hmm. But it really enabled me to pay for school, and then ultimately pay for my master's degree, and also pay for um, for me to develop my career the way I envisioned it, as opposed to having to work for one company.
1: Right. So you mentioned you worked in Japan and Europe, all these you know cool places. Is that Did you find that uh, exciting, you know, in terms of food or how did did you find culture?
0: Oh, my gosh, those travels for me also because I was kind of I wasn't like one of these models who was swept up and paid like piles of money. I was I call myself the workhorse of the model world where I really, you know, worked hard, got bookings and supported myself. But I wasn't you know, I was definitely on a budget. And so I got to go to all these markets in all of these different countries mm-hmm. and really experience, uh, and I lived in usually a little bit more of a uh, uh, local part of the city as opposed to the fancy glitzy center of the city, wherever I was. Mm-hmm. So I really got to experience different cultures of food and it made an impact on me more than I ever imagined it would. It was a hugely influential for me um, from a culinary point of view. And then the other thing that was really interesting that I never thought I was gonna get from being in the modeling world is that I started to really, by being around all these photographers and visual people, I started to really get a more visual sensibility about food as well. And so ultimately in this sort of now Instagram world, right? Right. um, Although I don't consider myself a professional photographer or professional videographer, I do, I, do, I did learn through that modeling to how to see the world from that point of view, which is maybe not something that a lot of nutritionists typically might at that time.
1: Yeah, that's, I was actually gonna follow up with the fact, you, you actually kind of answered my question is how did that, you know, the experience of being a model, being in that sort of artistic world, did that change any of your approach as far as cooking or food as well? But yeah.
0: Yeah, completely. I mean, everything that we each experience in our life, Um, contributes to our collective um, perspective on things right or our Mm -hmm. personal perspective on things and I think that's what's so great about um, the food world today is that we each have a very unique individual perspective that hopefully um, people of many people can relate to
1: right Mm -hmm. now within you know the realm of food itself you've accomplished different things like you said you know you're uh, written a lot of articles, you're on, you know, written seven books, you were on different shows, um, you know, all kinds of things, fun things. How did you manage these different uh, different areas? You know, do you have a system or are you sort of uh, let things happen kind of thing? Yeah. So
0: I do have all of these things might seem disparate and seem like they're coming from all different directions, but there's one overarching goal. And that is to help people to reach people mm-hmm. mainly through the media Um, but to reach people and help them enjoy food in a healthy way. Okay. Okay. So um, the way that takes shape for me is whatever media, first of all, my um, minor in my master's degree was journalism. So any form of media is fair game, right? And the media changes so quickly. So, you know, one year ago, we wouldn't have been doing this interview on this platform. So it's always changing. So to me, um, any type of media is within my mission. So magazine writing, book writing, um, doing t- videos, doing Instagram now, um, taking uh, images, blogs, whatever. Um, mm. Also I write for the Washington Post, so traditional media wow. also. Um, so that, but the, uh, initially I, when I first graduated from my master's degree, I started a private practice and I did that for many years, almost a decade. And actually that helped me also in the media aspect. Everything kind of feeds into each other because what it helped me see is what what are people really asking? Um, What are the questions they really have? Um, At that time, there wasn't like Facebook and all all this feedback you could get from people. So that helped me really understand how to help individuals through the issues that they're facing on day-to-day. So it's one thing to say, oh yeah, eat this, eat that. It's another thing to be with that person on a day, week to week basis, trying to figure out how do they make that happen within the constraints and challenges that real life throws at you. So being in private practice really helped me with that. And how I made decisions along the way, and ultimately veered away from being in private practice, is that I always follow um, this gut feeling of what gives me excitement, what like jazzes me up, even though at the end of a long day, I might be tired from shooting my TV show or whatever, um, I'm still psychologically jazzed up about it. Whereas with private practice, I would see two clients or three clients and I would just feel like someone drained the blood out of my body. And I knew I was doing good work and I knew I was helping people, but I, I went by that feeling. If it makes me feel like that, then, I, then it's not the right fit for me in terms of the direction. So I follow that kind of gut um, in terms of how to take next steps in my career.
1: That's pretty it that sounds like a pretty good direction and guide to what you wanted to do right yeah. yeah so um you know you talked about you know things changing you know obviously your career but also I guess from a general society perspective um you know did you see any change in terms of trends obviously there' always trends in nutrition and food, but um, anything in particular maybe like social media that the the sort of rise of social media if that changed anything for you or you know, how people talk about food, the relationship, do you find anything you know, trends or, or changes throughout the years?
0: Yeah, so so many, so two, two parallel tracks on on that. One that the basic stuff of what makes something good for you or not good for you, like the basic kind of concept of what is a healthy way of eating, hasn't really changed that much. Okay. And that's the kind of thing that I find very comforting. So if you're doing certain things like eating more fruits and vegetables, whole fruits and vegetables, if you are eating whole grains as opposed to refined grains, eating, um, trying to minimize added sugars, eating um, more healthy proteins, beans and fish and nuts and seeds and healthy oils, those things haven't changed in decades and decades, that basic stuff. So I think that's a really great sort of compass because if that was, going up and down like the stock market or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, that would be very stressful and frustrating, but there are certain things that as human beings kind of help us thrive. Mm -hmm. Um, On the parallel track of that is what has changed a lot over the years is the environment that we live in and the media and culture and the things around us that are changing and and sometimes changing really quickly. So I'll give you one example. When I wrote my first book, Mm Um, I would use uh, thickened yogurt, so Greek yogurt in recipes, but you couldn't easily find Greek yogurt in a regular grocery store at that time. So, and this wasn't even that long ago. This was like two, maybe 15 years ago. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I would explain in my recipe exactly the steps for thickening your own yogurt in your refrigerator at home. So now Obviously, I don't have any more. So it's kind of cool, like these different ingredients, like quinoa, Greek yogurt, um, sriracha. These ingredients have come into our like everyday vernacular. And it's really amazing, um, that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also the media has changed things so much where we can access recipes. We can access different voices in food so much more easily. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, but it's interesting, like with obviously right now, especially, um, you know, talk about change, like COVID obviously last year has changed kind of everything from what we do, how we live our lives, obviously with our relationship and cooking and food. So is there anything particular you you saw the last few years, maybe people start cooking more the last few months, I guess?
0: Oh, yeah, I definitely think that people have been cooking more and wanting more solutions for that, which is what I do, what my specialty is. So it's been a joy for me to be able to contribute to people's lives in that way, especially during this stressful time to help give them something that's going to maybe take a little bit of the stress out of the meal planning and maybe budget, you know, knowing that you can cook healthy food. That's not going to break the bank kind of thing. Mm Um, so I've been having solutions, provide solutions like that. But one thing I wanted to say about what I think has been very challenging with the new media is that I think the nature of it kind of sets us up that the extremes get the loudest voices. So the extreme radical diets and extreme radical recipes that are like, have like three pounds of cheese in it, Um that gets... <laughs> the most attention. And so the world, the food world is in some ways presented to us as like, uh, you have to eat, you have to be either vegan or you have to um, go on keto as like, that's the only way. And and I just, I want to just take that temperature down. And my goal is to help people realize that they don't have to have fear, guilt or total elimination of anything in their life to eat a healthy and healthy, they personally thrive. It was different for each person. And that's one of the beautiful things about the human body is that we can really thrive. Um, and if you look at cultures throughout the world, there's not just one way of eating. We can thrive on lots of different, there's a lot of wiggle room in that. So we can enjoy that instead of being stressed out by it.
1: That's actually excellent point. And I was going to ask is that uh, one of the earlier interviews I saw You mentioned that you don't necessarily agree with the sort of approach with diet as a whole. So maybe, you know, go a little bit into that and how you explain to us what your philosophy about that is, actually.
0: Yeah, I think um, the whole notion of diets is, um, so there's diet, like, in the more innocuous sense, like, oh, I eat a healthy diet kind of thing. But then diet as something that you're going on, I'm going Mm -hmm. on a diet is, is i think a, a trap frankly okay, <laughs> and I mean- it, it's a trap in that it's something that's typically manufactured so it's typical we're typically set up to believe that this is the only way to do okay if you're gonna you need to go on this diet because it's going to solve all your problems it's like overprom. Promising, usually some type of extreme that you're put on that inevitably backfires. And these plans, I've read many, I've read like every popular diet plan, and they all have certain threads in common. Um, They typically are extreme, they typically, they often backfire, um, and they often set it up so that if it doesn't work or when it backfires, it's really basically your fault. So it puts you on an emotional roller coaster. And you know, sometimes these plans may work for some people, and that's great. If it works for you, good, go for it. But I think we need to take a more critical look. Is this really looking for me, working for me? If I need to do it every single year and I feel terrible about myself when I failed at it, um, none of that is necessary. And some of it um, just makes you feel bad and puts you on this roller coaster. And some of it can be quite dangerous, especially for people who are dealing with potential eating disordered behavior. Um, it can make us anxious. It can make us stressed about food. I mean, I know a lot of people, I've worked with a lot of people. I personally have been in the situation in my earlier years as a teen where I would have be stressed out looking at a menu. Can't have that, can't have that. It shouldn't be like that. Um, we should be able to, again, find pleasure, joy, comfort, and balance all at the same time.
1: Right. Uh, that's actually interesting. I was um, talking to a friend and he's really into uh, the intermittent fasting thing. And to me, I, I think there might be something to it as far as, you know, you don't eat as much as a whole, you know, on a daily basis. I mean, to me, it, it's difficult because I love food, obviously, a lot. So it's hard to say, OK, from this hour to that hour, I'm not eating period. So but you mm-hmm. know, your point it's it's more about, you know, uh, moderation, I guess. Right. I don't know
0: yeah, well, one of the things about intermittent fasting that's really interesting to me is that our one of the things that American culture uh, unfortunately has sunk into is that we eat all the time. We don't we never stop eating all throughout the day, throughout the night. And evening, eating after dinner and throughout the evening is often a trigger for people, a problem for people, that they're taking in so many calories in the evening. So, doing what's called an intermittent fast. I mean, the thing is intermittent fasting has many definitions. So um, personally, if you do something like a 12 hour fast, isn't that just what our grandparents did? <laughs> right? Stop eating the kitchens closed, my mom used to say, <laughs> right? So if you just close the kitchen at a certain point, um, then let's say you finish dinner at eight, you finish eating at 8pm, and then you wait till 8am to eat that that's breakfast you actually gave your body a period where you're not eating, imagine what a concept. And that's pretty good, I think. I think that's for a lot of people. Um, When you start to get into, oh, don't eat for three days or don't eat for 16 hours, and then people are ravenously hungry and passing out on city buses or whatever because they're hungry, then I think there's a real problem. And that is definitely, um, there, there are many stories of that happening. So I think the difference is one, is like really listening to your body. Um, If you try, if you're genuinely ravenously hungry to the point where you're up in the middle of the night, tossing and turning, maybe you need a little bit of a snack. Maybe you ate an earlier dinner and you need a little, or a very light dinner and you need a little bit of a snack before bed. That's fine. It's more important, I think, to listen to to this, what your body's telling you than a piece of paper or a a study, one study that came out in some random journal or something you read online. Um, but there is some evidence that all said about intermittent fasting. there is some evidence that um, our bodies benefit metabolically from having a rest from eating at a certain for a certain window.
1: Right. And to your point, you know obviously for me, um, maybe for a lot of people as well, what I, what I find challenging is um, there's always so much different information coming out right like there's different papers all the time different magazines different things that people talk about how do you navigate through that
0: yeah and that's why i was saying to have a wider lens to look at it with a wider lens so that's why it's important to if you take a step back and look at the past 20 30 40 50 years the basic what's the same there's many things that are the same eat more vegetables have whole grains, don't fill up on bread. My grandmother told me this stuff, right? Um, so it doesn't mean not have bread, just don't fill up on it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so certain basic advice, don't have too much sugar, um, savor your food, all of these things are very consistent. So I look toward that. Um, and then when studies come out, you know it takes a while. Don't just react from one study, don't react from two studies take it in, look at it, and then really look at more of a broader, when you're looking at science and scientific research, you really want to look at a more broad um, set of studies that come out over time. I know we're not used to thinking like that in our culture. We just like kind of turn on a dime, but um, it's just not a smart thing to do when it comes to diet. Um, And one of the things that I think is really helpful to know is that a lot of times, a lot of these popular science, these popular diet books, they take one or two studies. So they take the seed of truth that hasn't been really developed yet and they develop it into a, a book. And the way they sell that book is by overpromising it, by extrapolating it and creating a plan around it. Um, and that's how books are sold, but it's really not how science and diet works. So um, just keep that in mind that it's sometimes more of a manipulation than anything else. Um, but yeah. So I, I would I I take this like big sit back take a wider view and how does it fit into the context of what you know
1: works? Mm-hmm. It's um, it's certainly challenging, especially you know to your point, a lot of the diets you know systems or programs you know became almost like an industry, almost like you know they're trying to market something to you in that sense, right?
0: Yeah, completely. I mean, that's what they are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think really. Taking that for what it is, but I think it really stems from people being very vulnerable. I think people are are stressed and frustrated, and um, they feel and the and the food environment that we live in can be challenging in some ways. At the same time, offering so many options, which is maybe sometimes part of the issue. But um, but there's a path there, and I think um, that's one of that's really my mission to help people find that path. That's not about being on any kind of extreme diet. And, um, and again, going back to this, that it's a place of pleasure that should feel good. It should, that you should be at peace with, you shouldn't be stressed out at meals or feel like you can't go to someone's home for dinner and, and make a, and not kind of um, bring your own Tupperware containers of food. Yes, sometimes people have extreme allergies or whatever where that happens. But for a a huge swath of the population to have to do that, it just makes no sense. Food's social too, right? We want to be able to eat with people and enjoy without, sometimes you're at these dinners and people are just like picking up, oh, I'm not eating grains, I'm not eating eating protein, I'm not eating okay, just shut up and eat and <laughs> just enjoy. Let's talk about something else, more enlightening.
1: Right. Yeah, it's funny. I'm I'm Chinese myself. So, uh, you know, recent years, I try to eat less rice, which is not a big problem. But my mom sometimes, you know, when we're talking, she's like, oh, you should eat more rice or, you know, stuff like that, or where did you get the carbs, that kind of thing. So it's kind of interesting that way.
0: Oh, I wonder about that. Uh, that is very interesting. And And rice, certainly white rice even will fit in, fine into a general healthy diet. Um, but I think I think that cultural aspect of it is is important and to honor the culture, uh, the cultural origin of the food. But also, I think it's okay to innovate, you know? I mean, one of the things I like to do with Chinese food, I love Chinese food, by the way. Um, and um, I mean, I grew up in New York City, going to Chinatown was like one of the things we did Uh, as a family all the Mm -hmm. time, Um, one and I eat rice sometimes, but one of the things I like to do is actually take my Chinese food and put it over like just chopped lettuce or watercress, which is actually many uh, dishes are served over watercress Mm -hmm. traditionally, or some kind of dark green like that. So I think that's kind of cool, a cool option that seems to work flavor wise too. I don't know if you ever tried that or how that resonates with you. Uh, let us. Uh, or let us... how would 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 your mom like just uh, <laughs> kick you out of the house if you did that?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it would be it would be interesting to uh, to see what happens that way. Um, I guess you know talking about traditions. Is there anything that you you know you particularly like to do you know as as a tradition? Maybe now your family does, or you know your friends and uh, you know obviously you know before COVID times, right? More more so that way. But uh,
0: maybe yeah, you can share with us. Well, one of the things that really I've always valued so strongly just my family dinner and tried to just clear schedules with my daughter as she was growing up um, to just have dinner together as a family. And one of the thing things that COVID kind of gave us, that's a silver lining, I think, was we were all together. My daughter is now in college, but she was here um, during the quarantine uh, period. And uh, you know, during the shutdown, essentially of our colleges, um, so we had this time where we were together every night for dinner. Whereas before, it was like hard to like get us together a few nights a week, uh, and it was a really beautiful time in that way. So I think that's a
1: silver
0: lining, and it was a reminder of how special that simple act can really be of sitting together around a table for some home cooked food. Uh, I always know that intrinsically, but it was still it reminded me, and it really stuck with me
1: that that is precious time yeah it's it's uh always a good time to you know just sit down and chat and eat to share food and and, you know as a family especially right so you know on that i guess my question would be um you know for you know a home cook or someone that cooks for the family all the time sometimes it's stressful to come up with uh, ideas or you know new things to try you know especially for someone like you you have to come up with like recipes all the time like how does that how do you come up with new ideas that way?
0: <laughs> so it's funny, cause sometimes they just come to me in a flash. Um, one of the ways that I come up with new ideas that I miss terribly is I travel a lot and I get so much inspiration from traveling. And so I miss that so much and all restaurants, I go to restaurants and I'll see this like amazing, I'll have this amazing dish uh, and I'll figure out, oh, how can I basically take, and I know that it took like a ton of work and, diff- and effort in the kitchen to do that but I'll figure out how to take the essence of those flavors and make it really doable and easy for home. Um, So I love that kind of thing. I miss that inspiration a lot. And sometimes I honestly feel stuck too. Like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to make? And then I pray for the muse to come visit and the muse visits. Eventually. (laughs) I really just try to stay open to it and, um, and looking, you know, scrolling through Instagram and stuff like that definitely helps um, and magazines. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so sometimes I've had two, but I have hundreds and hundreds of recipes in my books on my website. Um, and I encourage people to, you know, take a look. I think sometimes there's so many choices that can be overwhelming Mm -hmm. and for people when they're home, they're trying to make something for dinner. What should I make that literally just start, um, if you're making the same thing over and over, maybe find one or two dishes. Okay, just like kind of narrow it down to broadening out maybe one new recipe a week. Okay. And then suddenly you're going to find that you have a repertoire built up um, and you see which ones stick and which ones you really love. And then also one of the things about online is that there's so many recipes to choose from, but. A lot of them don't work, <laughs> frankly. Really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are putting recipes out there that haven't really been properly tested. So I, I have to say, it's you know, I put in this work all the time, and one of the things that I'm so proud of is people tell me that my recipes always work, which I think should be a given, but it just isn't, unfortunately. And to make sure you have recipes that work, it takes a lot of uh, testing and cross testing and a measuring of ingredients and all this stuff that I, I really hope to bring to people. And so I would encourage people when you're looking for things to try, make sure it's from a trusted source that you know you're not going to waste your time, ingredients, money, and so on.
1: Right. And so is there a particular, you know, recipes or two from your new book that you're particularly proud of, you find it particularly interesting you can share with us?
0: Oh my gosh. So I love them all. They're all like kind of my babies that's coming to mind right now that I feel like I get so much great feedback on it and it's this um so in my new book it's called hole in one w-h-o-l-e I think I have a I'm gonna grab what? a copy of it
1: no okay show us the uh, <laughs> the work
0: this is it oh you're gonna, it's, gonna, oh, that's very it. Nice. it's gonna show up yeah. backwards um it's called hole in one and it's whole foods in and it's in one um cheap pan pot or skillet so there's whole only one foods pan in t- what
1: way though? sorry just to get so, a better
0: it's uh, the word whole w h o e is like a triple entendre. So whole in one like it scores like it's a like it's a hole in one like in golf spelled mm-hmm. the other way. But it's also um, a whole meal. So they're complete meals uh, in one pot uh, sheet pan or skillet. So uh, as opposed to a lot of these one pot dishes that you see, you kind of have to serve make a salad to serve with it or some kind of side. Mm-hmm. And this is literally like nutritionally balanced whole meal in one uh, pan. And then the other thing is whole foods, meaning not highly processed, you know, starting. And and I use like shortcut ingredients sometimes like frozen peas or something, um, but minimally processed. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's the whole food kind of idea. And I think that I always try to cook with more minimally processed ingredients, but I'm really not a purist. Like I definitely use some, uh, I think it nothing's really off limits. So my nutrition philosophy, by the way,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is you know there's no such thing as never. I, I categorize food as usually, sometimes, and rarely. And so the usually foods are the ones that really make up most of my recipes i that I personally eat the most, that make up my personal shopping cart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, as I was saying, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, healthy. Proteins, but then sometimes foods—you know—maybe it's white bread. So I'm going to have a baguette now and then, or some white rice, um, and you can have that kind of regularly, but maybe in more modest portions, right? Yeah. Um, and then the is are the foods that so many kind of uh, diet gurus, quote unquote, say you know are off limits, and that um, and that many chefs actually use with a heavy hand—sugar. Butter, cream, and I sprinkle those in, and here and there because sometimes it really makes a huge difference in terms of flavor uh, and and unctuousness, and um, you know, and and if it if you use them strategically, it can really work. And then the big picture of the dish is still quite healthful. So mm-hmm. that's my strategy. That's what I do throughout all these recipes. So you you asked me about one of the recipes that I love, and one of the ones in particular, and it's on my website, by the way, ellieKrieger.com if you wanna check it out. There's also a little video of it. It's um, salmon uh, with, um, wait, it's ginger soy salmon with broccolini, edamame, and uh, shiitake mushrooms. And it's all roasted on the sheet pan, so it's like one easy cleanup, and it's so much has so much flavor and the salmon is so buttery and delicious and it's just completely healthful and completely lusciously delicious. And so I, it's, it hits that sweet spot to say where delicious and healthy meat just about perfectly.
1: <laughs> wow, that does sound very good with all the vegetables. You have the, you have the uh, little bit of beans, you have uh, some fish in there and yeah, it, it, it sounds like it's easy to cook too, and right? it's just one you know, baked you know. Yeah, dish.
0: exactly. Exactly, and you make this beautiful kind of marinade that goes on both the um the salmon and the vegetables. So ties it all together on the plate.
1: Nice, and I, I'm just just I'm just imagining. There's probably you can mix up a little bit different sauces if you want. Like try different sauces. Maybe that you know. Oh yeah, I'd anyways. love to see
0: what you can come up with, Corey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I'm like you said. Like I'm I'm interested in obviously obviously going to different restaurants and traveling too. So a lot of times. When I'm talking to like chefs and visit visiting different restaurants, I try to understand. Um, well, obviously, I can't replicate what they do because that's the professional. But more so, you know, understanding how they do certain things, their approach. to Maybe you know, a dish that I really liked. How do they do that, and how do I, like you said, um, bring certain elements into that? You know, when I'm trying to cook my own things, right? Totally. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I did a little background research on you as well. So uh, you seem to live with a very active lifestyle, uh, you know, do a lot of physical activities like yoga, spinning, lifting, all that sort of stuff. So how do they fit into your overall lifestyle?
0: Oh, boy. I mean, to me, like wellness, I always say that in one of my book intros, actually, that wellness is a three-legged stool, right? One part is eating and food. One part is being active physically active in your life. And one part is sort of the wellness aspect, like sleeping well, managing stress, and all those things have to come together for this stool to stand up. So I always am trying and and I am not perfect. Trust me, I'm like dealing with my own anxieties about especially like crazy um, Mm -hmm. in this crazy world. But trying to manage my stress and also um, being active is a huge part of that. So if getting out and walking every single day, even during this whole lockdown business, really saved me, honestly, to go into the park, Central Park and walk or walk around the city, literally walking like miles and miles, nearly every day, um, lately, um, in the cold. Um, But also running, biking, kayaking, I'm trying to find some kind of fun activity to do. And moving my body is just like a central part of my life. And I don't really feel great psycho- psychologically or physically if I don't do it. So I'm just like well in that habit. So I've been doing yoga um, online with my favorite teacher because um, my gym's been closed or you know not accessible.
1: Right.
0: So it's been you know challenging in some ways, but also I not like a non-negotiable for me. I have to do it, <laughs> or else I'm not happy.
1: Yeah, I I have the same, I guess you call it, issue or, or, or whatever habit. Just, uh, you know, obviously, especially before COVID, um, I go to boxing and I exercise that as much as I can. I find it kind of challenging in this situation because, you know, everything is outside your house pretty much is not accessible. So I find that kind of a little bit challenging in that sense, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. But I think if we can see possibilities. And also, here's the thing, just not trying to be perfect, whether it's what you're eating, whether it's your exercise, we might have this notion of what perfect is. But it's BS. It's Mm -hmm. like false. It's a false narrative. And so and sometimes, well, sometimes our notion of perfect or our ideal um, is a great goal. But I think we have to be kind to ourselves and, and realistic because life doesn't always lend itself to that. I think what happens is we have, and this is what diets do, it's like perfect, or you failed. Mm -hmm. And that is an extreme mentality that doesn't serve us in anything. So if we can get out of that mentality and sort of say, okay, here's a situation I'm dealing with, my gym is closed, it's 20 degrees out. My, you know, my husband needs a living room, I can't do the yoga class. What can I do? What can I do within these, these are strict walking outside with doing bundling up and getting out and either way I'm moving. Right. I, maybe I'm not working out in the same way, but, and so it's it's the same thing with food. Uh, You're maybe back, back in the good old days when you could travel Um, I'm traveling. I, I don't, I can't stick to my usual plan. Oh no, they only have white rice at this person's house. And so what, so have a little or, or, you know, uh, make your plate mostly vegetables and make the best of a situation that you're confronted with and that's good enough you know mm-hmm. um, it doesn't have to be this it doesn't have to meet your notion of perfect to be don't let what is that that saying I love it um, don't let perfect get in the way of good
1: right. right there is that sort of balance to your point again not trying to be all the way in one side you know but just trying to do the best you can as, as you sort of live your life sort of thing, right, as, as best you can kind of Yeah,
0: plan. and that's going to take you far, right? So you could stick to this perfect thing for, I don't know, a month, two months, I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, you know, can you live your life like this? How can you live your life? How can you create a pattern where you can live your life in this way?
1: With that, I mean, do you have any particular tips or things for you know, us to sort of follow? Like how do, you, how do we find, you know, sort of where um, is sort of the, the place to be sort of sort to of seek?
0: Yeah, so I, I suggest really this usually sometimes rarely philosophy. If you can, and that also helps you look more broadly at things. Like how, what does rarely mean? You know, how many, that's more of a weekly view instead of a every meal has to be a certain way. So I would say that and then just move your body. (laughs) And also, I think uh, I love this, like kind of just stop eating before you're too full. Slow down, savor your food, really taste it. Sometimes we're just shoveling it in mindlessly. So eating more mindfully also really helps
1: with all of this stuff. Like more slowly and sort of not make sure that you're not like overly soft.
0: Yeah, like you don't have to count bites or anything like that, but just really like, are you like smell it? Take in the sight of it, take in the colors and aromas, take a moment to appreciate the path that food took to get to, which is kind of can be long. And I, I like to have a sense, sometimes my family, we, um, we usually have this thing, thank you to the farmer. We, it became like this joke that we do thank you to the farmer, thank you to the cow, thank you to the truck driver who drove the food to the market, thank you to the people at the market, thank you to the cook, and it became a funny joke. We'd go on and on, but it actually is quite meaningful to to appreciate, even if you want to make a joke out of it, (laughs) that whole path of your food and value it. And then when you eat, take your time and really taste it and savor it. And, um, and stop eating before you're totally stuffed. And I, and that's a really good way to kind of like manage portions and actually enjoy your food more at the same time.
1: I find, yeah, that's a big challenge when I'm eating, like, especially when I'm entering the food, I'm just sort of just like eating, 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 a just dive into it. Like, <laughs> yeah. First. Yeah. And then like, before, you know, it, you're like, you're totally stuffed, right? That's why I find a and sometimes
0: that moment of gratitude actually helps you slow down right away. So if you just make a habit of that, that's like a trigger of like, oh, okay. It's almost like break.
1: right, So that's a sort of a, a a way internally to know when you can stop, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Right. So uh, I guess you know last few questions. I guess um, you know you mentioned you live in New York City, are uh, there particular areas or restaurants or things that you you like? You know when you when you you know, I guess. In the normal times, let's say it that way.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, I just love the variety. You I can't pick a favorite food, I can't pick a favorite neighborhood. I love that there's always something new to discover. And I grew up in New York City and I'll go to this neighborhood wherever in Brooklyn or something. Oh my god, that maybe I hadn't been to in a few years. Oh my gosh, it's completely different. It never gets um, you never really know it because it's always changing, and I just find that. So very, very exciting. Um, and so I love to try foods and I, here there's such a opportunity really most places, but if you look for it, there's an opportunity to just taste food from so many different cultures and so many different points of view. Um, so I trip and I always seek that out.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm finding. I live in Toronto, so it's not- it's a, Same, it's right? There's yeah. a
0: great food scene there. Right,
1: I hear. It's, I've
0: never been. I need to try to yeah, get
1: there. It's, it's kind of similar to, to New York in a sense that there's a lot of different uh, neighborhoods, different communities that are here. Um, not to the extent of the size of New York, but uh, you know, we have like a Greek town, we have uh, Little India, we have China, Chinatown, obviously, so different areas. So, you know, if you wanna, if you that day you wanna eat like Indian food, I can go that that area, and you, you know, you, you you pretty much get something that I don't know how you know really really authentic it is because i don't have the background of it but you have a pretty you know good a good sense of what you're trying to eat and that gives you you know a lot of center that way i guess
0: yeah and it's just delicious so
1: yeah for sure for sure um <laughs> what would you say sort of gives you the most energy in general um, it could be work it could be life it could be anything oh gosh
0: balance gives me energy I need to really have the right balance. So I need to be well rested, but I also have to be charged up about the work I'm doing mm-hmm. and psychically excited about creating. Um, I have to be, I have to take naps every day. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> and then I also have, to, well, not every day, but, and also be active physically. So I, I think that no balance really gives me the most energy is what really like charges my battery the best.
1: Right. And then this being the uh, women's issue, guys, I guess, ask you a question about, you know, how do you see, is there any change in terms of, you know, your industry or food in general? Do you find, um, you know, the sort of the, how women have developed their roles in, in this uh, industry in particular?
0: Well, in the, in the food industry, I see a huge change In I see so many more as chef owners of restaurants and I love it. I love to support that. I love to see women rising in that area. And I'm part of an organization, international organization, I'm sure there's a chapter in Toronto, uh, called Les Dames d'Escoffier, which is women in hospitality um, and uh, food and hospitality. Mm. And like people who have gotten to a certain level in their career. And I meet so many inspiring people. And I do think the ground is fertile. I think change needs to happen, but I think there's been a reckoning in terms of like Me Too stuff, and uh, we're moving in the right direction. And it feels very exciting. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of also different.
0: in nutrition. I actually would like to see more men. <laughs> okay. I think we need more diversity in that field. So, what uh, so it's interesting because I think part of what helps women rise up is also having more diversity in general, where men enter fields that are maybe typically female
1: fields. Right. I guess it's like the sort of the nurse as well. That kind of field is less, uh, uh, I guess it's more female, uh, more female in those yeah. areas that way. So I guess. I once met a the... guy
0: and he said he's a male nurse. I asked mm-hmm. him what he did and he said he's a male nurse. And I was just like, that's so funny. I see you're a male. Like, you know, <laughs> I have to sell nurse you just say nurse <laughs> thats <is> funny <laughs> I think we have to get out of that you know
1: mm-hmm. yeah there is that sort of connotation of you know what usually is sort of the you know common in uh, common uh, role people play that might maybe is sort of outdated notion i guess by 2020 yeah. hopefully I guess yeah. Um so, I guess the last question, do you have any sort of upcoming projects, anything particularly you'd like to share with us, uh, exciting things?
0: Yeah, well, I've been um, doing a lot on Food Network Kitchen app, which is really fun. I've been doing a lot of lives on there. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on a children's book, which wow. I'm super excited about. So um I, it's really just in development right now, but um, fingers crossed that it comes you know it comes to fruition. And I think it's a fun new area for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's what I'm up to.
1: Is that book uh, about food as well, or is just more general? Yeah,
0: it's a cookbook, but like a picture-driven cookbook. Um, And it has a special twist to it, but I can't really – it's a little too soon to talk talk about. Right, right. Always working on something and – and I am excited to just start traveling again, too. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I think we're all waiting for it, especially, you know, if you're getting Instagram. People always talk about, oh, this restaurant I've been to, you know, last yeah. year or before, you know.
0: Maybe I'll make my way to uh, Toronto once.
1: There you go. Hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully if, if you come here, we would be honored to uh, maybe meet up and show you around and see.
0: I'd love that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I would love that.
1: Oh, cool. all right. So thanks again, Ellie, for being with us today. And, Thank uh, you. you know, best of luck, and uh, we'll have soon.
0: Excellent. Thanks for having me.
1: Okay, see you. Bye. Okay.